Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. This is Undermine Presents, We've Got a Band, brought to you by Section 119, the podcast where fish fans talk to fish fans who have their own fans. I'm your host, James Dell. And I'm Gabrielle Bluestone. And this week on the podcast, we have Scott Rogowski. He is a stand-up comedian, a fish super fan, and also a guy who probably made millions of people learn fish lyrics without even knowing it, uh, because Scott was famously the host of HQ Trivia. James, were you an HQ player? Uh, I was for a period of time. I distinctly remember a Thanksgiving uh, where the entire family was sitting around playing HQ, um, and it was it, it was wild how quickly HQ kind of came to be like the center of everyone's attention, and then also wild how quickly it all kind of fell apart. And we, I, I love that we kind of get into that whole story in this episode. Um, we also get some really great anecdotes about kind of. Scott's early days as a stand-up, and now his kind of post-HQ life selling vintage t-shirts in Santa Monica, which I think is pretty badass. So, yes, definitely an HQ player. So without further ado, let's uh, get into it with the quiz daddy, Scott Rogowski. Uh, or as he might say, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's get this show on the road. This is Undermine Presents. We've got a band, episode five, with Scott Rogowski. Sponsored by Section 119. Scott works. <laughs> Scott's, <laughs> Scott's what I call myself usually. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of like what, like credits and stuff? Like the, yeah, like the multi hyphenate that is, that is Scott Rogowski, right? Like you've. Small business <laughs> owner. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were talking about it before. You kind of cover every single base that we're like we're covering on this show. Mm -hmm. So it's like you've done comedy, you act, you've been an entrepreneur, you've 
been at a startup, you've you've done a lot of things that like mm-hmm. kind of cover the gamut. So like, how, it's the Sagittarius how do you describe me, yourself? James. It's ah. the Sagittarius in me. I don't know what to say. It's, I've gotten into astrology now living in LA. And uh, this is what I'm told. I would say I'm just, uh, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm a uh, fish fan. That's the most important part of this, right? Is that I'm a fan of the band. And yeah, now I'm running a, a vintage clothing store in Santa Monica. So I'm small, small business owner. Sounds a little too Republican, but I do. <laughs> I kind of like it ironically. All right. Well, we are here with the quiz daddy himself, small business owner and fish fan, Scott Rogowski. Welcome yes. to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So it's great to see you. Um, wanted to know what's been going on in your world, professionally, personally. What's going on? Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. I moved to L.A. in uh, uh, last year, 2021, and I have sort of fallen into that L.A. lifestyle, man. It's a vibe out here. It is a vibe. I got a dog. I got an electric car. And now I'm doing podcasts. I mean, what's more LA than this, right? I mean, you could be doing it from Erewhon, I guess, but... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I have been to Erewhon. I can't say I'm a regular. I stick to Trader Joe's, you know? And it's kind of nice to have the, my, my TJ's background in New York. I, I cut my teeth on TJ's in New York. But now I'm moving to LA. I'm closer to the headquarters, right? I'm closer to Moravia, California. I always saw that on the back of Trader Joe's packaging. Moravia, California. Like, what is this magical place? Home of Trader Joe's. I haven't been to Moravia, but um, I'm, I'm pretty damn close here. And it just feels a little fresher, you know? The, 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 the Joe O's and the, uh, the my, my almond, my blueberry lavender almond milk. It just tastes a little fresher out here. Has this changed your feeling on East Coast versus West Coast fish tour? Mmm. Well, I mean, I, you know, I caught, I caught the forum show in LA in October and that was just fire as the kids are still saying, I think, are they still saying fire or have they moved on to something else? But it was phenomenal. I don't know if, if you, if you happen to catch that one, James, did I see you out there? Yeah. yeah you actually do yeah, know that I, I caught I that did. one because yes, we, we yeah, hung James out a lot definitely. for that that's show. That's right. Yeah. My, my show's bl- 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 blur together, but that's, yes. Now it's coming back to me. We were on lot, James. And then I saw Gabby at Jones Beach. Yeah. So I've seen both of right. you at fish shows in the last six months. Which is which I still feel like you're, you're, you're dodging the question, though. East Coast or West Coast, which, which one do you prefer? Well, when you say tour, like, here's the truth. Like, I've never really been, you know, on tour tour, you know, just going from show to show. I, I did a little bit in 04 when they were kind of shutting down, and I thought, let me just squeeze in as many shows as I can get. And those were mostly concentrated that summer in the East Coast. So it was a little easier, but... Um, you know, the forum show was cool. I still haven't gone to the gorge. Like, I still haven't done, you know, I've done dicks. I don't know, man. I mean, the energy, nothing beats the garden for me. So, mm-hmm. like, East Coast will always have the garden, and those shows are just electric every time. Um, but the forum was great. I love that show. And, and, the, and the scene out here, like, I've seen great fish cover bands out here. I've seen great dead cover. I mean, there's just a really good LA freaks scene. I think it's a Facebook page, LA freaks. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm feeling quite at home here, but look, I'll always have the East coast shows will always be my first, you know, 
my first shows, Uniondale, Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> the vibe, I think, is like a little bit more fun on the West Coast. Yeah. But maybe that's just the people, novelty of traveling. Maybe, right. I think people appreciate it more out there. That was kind of, I, for the first time last fall, I did my first, like, I'm just going to, you know, San Francisco all the way down the coast, all the way back up, out to Vegas. And everyone out there is just so thrilled that there is a West Coast tour right. that like that energy becomes really infectious. Like they're 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 just thankful that, you know, and they come from all over because, you know, it's it's like right. how Dix is everyone from the West. I did Dix for the first time this year, and that was the same thing. It was like everyone who didn't get to go to shows in L.A. or San Francisco or, you know, up north, like those shows become really important for them. And so like, that's really cool. But you know, I grew up in New York, Madison Square Garden is Madison Square Garden. And right. you know, it's, that's hometown. And you know, I, I gotta say like, I'm not, I, 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 I had a fun time at Jones this, this, this go around, but it's always like in my memory, it's like, I don't love that venue when I think about it. Um, I think <laughs> maybe they've redone it. Maybe that's what it was. They kind of redid it and since, since, since shows, but, I mean, I saw I saw them back in 2012 there in Jones, and I was at that show too. Yeah, yeah, the Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I just I don't know. It's something about getting schlepping to Long Island that lo- the walk from the <laughs> lot is interminable, and you're out there. You know, it's just that's not my favorite place. Like, I'd rather go to Hartford. The Xfinity. I had a great time at that Xfinity show. Hartford show. Uh, that was what, such a weird Sunday 15. night show. I know. That was a fun one, though. So, you know, all those, like, East Coast amphitheaters, like the SPAC and yeah, Camden sucked in my memory. <laughs> like, because I saw that oh, that oh four, the last show before Coventry. Man, that was depressing. That was one of my <laughs> least favorite shows ever. Um like sense and subtle sounds to close it out, I think, and like just the loops and Trey just like left the loops going as he, everyone left the stage. It was like super downer. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I still like like I'm, I want to do the gorge. Like I got to do. I don't know if I ever go back to Red Rocks. Do you think? But I would love to see Red Rocks. I haven't been to that venue at all for any show. So there are certain like West Coast venues that are on my bucket list that I just have to I have to do at some point. Um, but I've done the Hampton, I've done the, you know, the East Coast Staples and Charleston, American mm-hmm. Airlines, New, New Year's. I did one of those. That was, yeah, you know, Miami <laughs> weird, weird vibe down there. No one seemed, that was one of the weirdest like post-show experiences where you're like leaving the venue. It's New Year's. And it was like in this weird part of town. There's like no one around. And it was just like, okay, nobody cares about fish, but the 20,000 people here. Like in the whole state, that's what it felt like. <laughs> who were who you with for that show? Like, what, what, who, what was the crew that's like, screw yeah, it, we're going was, to Miami. I mean, that we're, was we're a doing weird, New I, Year's I, in Miami. That was probably also what made it a little. I was with a girl I was dating at the time who had never seen them before, and staying at like her mom's <laughs> condo down there, and uh, I think we did like sushi samba for dinner <laughs> beforehand with her and her mom and their family, and then. We went to the show and we were all the way in the upper decks. I mean, I think it might have been a last minute decision, actually. Like, what are we going to do? Let's, let's, let's catch New Year's at American Airlines. And it was a t- pretty shitty gag that year. That was also a little disappointing. But look, I, it's fish is fish. You know, it's like pizza. Even bad pizza is good. Even, <laughs> even a 
slightly off this show is still great. That's fair. Um, so to take it back to the beginning, what was your first show and whose fault was it? So my first show was the one of the greatest shows of recent vintage. And I don't say that because, you know, I'm biased. This is documented. This is 2-2803, Nassau Coliseum, the Destiny bust out, the Soul Shakedown bust out. To have that as your first show, it's almost, I got to say, it's not like I would have not have gone back to fish shows after that. I mean, I was a fan already um, for, for a, a solid fan for at least a few years. Like this was, I, I really came into my fish fandom uh, during the hiatus, which was strange, right? Because I couldn't see them live. Um, but, uh, but I was saying like that first show was so electric and so amazing. Like my first time on stage doing standup was the same way. It was like this insanely perfect experience. To this day, one of the best shows I've ever done was my first show on stage, which very few people can say that, right? Usually it's some open mic in Fort Lauderdale that's a total you know, bust and nobody's watching. And, but this was you know, college, my own college, 300 people packed in the room. So I, that gave me the bug to keep doing comedy and doing standup. You know, seeing fish like that, I was like, oh God, I have to do this again and again. And I actually went back to NASA. They came back that November for Thanksgiving. That was like the 20th anniversary run. And I really wanted to go to Pepsi, the Pepsi Arena in Albany. I couldn't get there, but I caught him again um, at Nassau. And, uh, you know, just ever since then, it's just been like I've been trying to see them at least once a year. I mean, the 04, I did a, I did a bunch of those shows. But to go further back into your question, Gabby, the, like, the, the person responsible, I can't hit in on one person. It was, it was just the camp vibe, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Like summer camp. I went to summer camp in the Berkshires and then in, in the Adirondacks. I went to two different camps. And I believe at both camps, just like the counselors were all into fish and the dead and classic rock. And this is music that I really hadn't been exposed to. I was 10 years old, 11 years old. I didn't have an older brother. My parents are super lame, especially when it comes to musical taste. Like, you know, my dad's got Barry Manilow's greatest hits and, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> my, mom, my, my mom, I don't think she even had a record collection. I don't know. You know, maybe she, maybe she had like Cat Stevens, but uh, you know, it's it, Joan Collins and was that Joan, Joan, Judy, Judy Collins. My dad loved Judy Collins. Like not even the good folk, you know, <laughs> like Peter, Paul and Mary, I guess it's like, but yeah, they weren't even, you know, they weren't like Dylan heads or anything, even though they mm -hmm. lived through all that. I can talk about how lame my parents are, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, so I didn't have any of that musical influence. I'd listen to, it was really just whatever I was exposed to. So, you know, going to school on the bus, they were playing hot 97 in New York. So I mm -hmm. got into hip hop, you know, um, Q1043 classic rock. Like I would listen to that and, and the oldies, my mom had the oldie station on all the time growing up. So like well-versed in, in the doo-wop era. But uh, uh, when it came to fish and jam bands, it was just being at camp, you know, hearing, I guess, like, 94, 95. So hoist, I remember seeing someone wearing a hoist shirt and hearing, you know, Bouncing Around the Room was probably one of the first songs. But then Down With Disease, I think, I, I, was, I have a phantom memory of seeing the Down With Disease music video on MTV. Can we confirm that <laughs> it was played on MTV? Because I, I watched... Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was, but like for six months and not in heavy rotation, from what right, I recall. Right, it was. It was. I was a big MTV kid. I watched a lot of MTV. It was very scary for me. Watching MTV was like an adult thing. I was, you know, again, being ten, 
uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead. It was like, oh my God, these guys are <laughs> bad, you know? And, and all the metal and all like the, the, you know, the Jeremy video for Pearl Jam, like the school shooting was like, hor- it was like horror for me. I mean, truly, I was such a, such a wimp, and I, you know, I didn't like anything scary, scary movies. I didn't do roller coasters, none of that stuff. So the Jeremy video was like, like horror, pure horror for me. Um, but Fish, I have a, I have a faint memory of that, of that Down with Disease video, and you know, I think, and then bouncing around the room, you know, it was probably one of the first songs that I kind of can connect to Fish and go. That's what Fish is. And I think that's, I feel like that's a lot of people's maybe first song for whatever reason. I don't know. Was that song, did that get radio play or something? Was that a big, I don't know why that's the one that people sort of pointed to back then as like, this is your entree into Fish. Maybe because mm-hmm. it's just so quintessential, you know, just the beat and the weird lyrics and getting into like the jam. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Like, is that, was that your, do you remember your first Fish song? Uh, yeah, I guess it, it was either bouncing around the room or, um, farmhouse probably. Farmhouse. But yeah. I got into it a little bit later. You know, a fun fact is Scott and I went to high school together. This is true. Um, and I didn't really hear fish until college. It wasn't mm-hmm. really a thing. And what was it like? High, yeah, it definitely wasn't in high school, like among the, the mainstream crowd, but I couldn't even find... I'll be honest with you, Gabby. It's an interesting point because we did go to the same high school. I'm now trying to think if any of my friends from high school listened to Fish, and I'm struggling to name even one. There, there was a kid, Alex Gasman, who I ended up seeing on sh- at shows, you know, years later, and it was like, "Oh, you like Fish?" Like we didn't at the time, we didn't connect over it, mm-hmm. but it was a friend from uh, growing up because I went to I went to a, a different elementary school. I went to a public school in, in my hometown up till fifth grade, and my buddy there, Mike Berkey, you know, we, we, he lived in LA today, we were still best of friends, and you know, we, we'd separated, we went to different high schools, but I guess we'd come back over the summer and we were doing Hebrew high school together, and I guess he had also been really big into fish at camp, and he, had, he was like a trader, so he had the mm-hmm. CD trading thing going on, he had booklets of CDs of live shows, all sorts of, Big Dave guy, Pearl Jam, you know, we had Zeppelin bootlegs and, and Hendrix and, um, but Fish and the Dead. And so we really got together, probably 15, 16 years old over one of those summers, like, oh my God, you know, we had this thing and we, we, I, I got a guitar in my junior high school and I started, you know, we, he played keyboard. He still does. He's been, he's actually in the band, The Alligators, which is like a pretty big dead cover band out here. And he, so he's stuck with the music. I, I, I sort of still noodle around for fun, but, uh, we would jam on songs together. And so that was having Mike was, you know, was, was the guy who kind of like really bonded me to it. But I don't know, man, I was pretty on my own with this stuff. Cause again, it was, it just sort of just connected with me. I, I really, I, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I guess that people say it's an acquired taste, but it's just, I couldn't tell you what it is. And I still, it's hard to explain when people ask because it's, as we know, it's kind of still stigmatized a little bit being a fan of this band and it, to me, it's just, it just combines all the elements of great music. And it's just got that beat. I mean, I love funk. I love mm-hmm. funk music. And I think if you ask any Fish fan, that might be just the base of all this, right? Like, they call it cow funk for a reason. I mean, it's just got that funky groove to it that, um, you know, that they can spiral out into different genres and do all sorts of things. But at the heart, it just comes back to that, I mean, that just, you know, Fishman and Gordon just, 
and then Trey doing, you know, just just doing the the wah wahs and whatever. It's um, yeah, it's just so funky and so it just gets you moving. It gets you excited. Like how can you not like it? So um, uh, I, I just remember you know driving. Or I have some distinct memories. How many shows have you seen overall? Do you know? I would say at this point, forty is a, is a conservative estimate of like where I'm at. Probably, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I used to keep meticulous track of these things, and then, you know, I don't know. My OCD waxes and wanes. I guess <laughs> I, I fell off for a little bit, but I definitely had a list at some point. I could probably tell you, the, definitely the first. You know, it was it was, it was the two Nassau shows, '03, mm-hmm. Hampton when they announced that kind of late late. You know, March show. It was a, it was a late announce, um, and I just grabbed tickets in '04 when they were doing the final tour. It was Hampton, SPAC, both SPACs, uh, Hamden, and I'd have to look at the, I would have to look at the tour. There might have been another one on that tour, um, but that was a, that was a heavy, heavy one for me. And then Coventry, I did not. Oh, and then I saw the Brooklyn, you know, Coney Island in movie theaters. I did some of the movie theater shows that year. I wanted to check that out. Nice. Um, but uh, Coventry, I did not go to. My sister went. And is she a fan or she just she, happened to go? She, so I got her into, into that. I got her into, uh, in, into oh, I'm, I'm, I'm mistaken also. The Hampton was August 9th. So that's what it was. It was like they squeezed it in, but they, maybe they announced it in March or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the tour now. I saw the Brooklyn theaters. And then Hampton, I don't think I got the tweeter in Massachusetts, but Camden, the last Camden show. My sister ended up, I had a, well, I got her into that. So, so I was the older brother in that sense. Like I, I, I was the one who she was taking her music cues from me. Um, Raina, right? Raina, that's right. So you, you, All right, you, that's, a, that's another Horace Man Fish fan. That's right. That's right, the two of us. <laughs> and, um, and then she was up there with some friends. From Horace Mann, I think, actually. Got out Jed Poster. Uh, <laughs> but I had to go up in there and rescue her because she was having such a miserable time. The, the, the rain and the mud and everything. So I think after day one, I like drove, which I saw in theaters as well. I drove up there and got her and got her home. And it was just, you know, the camping in the mud. I mean, she was just not ready for that at that stage in her life. She was probably 16. Oh, I went to It. I'm glossing over... One of the big ones, it in '03 with Mike Berkey. That was a really crazy, crazy time. Uh, so you know, I, I got I caught say, a bunch say more. early. Yeah, same <laughs> more. What, what, what about it? What, what about it made it? Were the, you there? The crazy one that, that no, but I you know. Well, it was I, my. Look, I, I was, like you, kind of got in during the hiatus. Yeah. So you know, it, it was just um, I was I graduated high school. So it was just like, you know, we're 18, it's the summer after graduation, and here I am, I guess my parents let me, we drove up there in my little, I have my, uh, maybe, maybe it was, I don't think it was the, no, it wasn't the Saab, it might have been my dad's Camry, and Mike <laughs> and I, we, we drove up there, packed the car, found like a, we stopped at some thrift store along the way, and I found this like giant flamingo, stuffed flamingo, and I was like, this is Carini. <laughs> this is Carini now, Carini the Flamingo, Carini with a lumpy head, because I had this like big kind of lumpy flamingo head, you know? 
And um, Karini was sitting in the car with us, sticking the head out the window, and we drove up there all the way up to Mars, Maine, and then Limestone. And we're, I'm telling you, and this has been documented, there was an 11-hour wait, no exaggeration, for the last mile to get into the gate, 11 hours to go the last mile. It was brutal. And we slept in our car overnight. But that night, I mean, we were like, yeah, there's a small town called Mars. I remember, like, we were like, you know, I guess it's the, the last small town before Limestone. And there's, like, the general store there. And, you know, everyone was basically just getting out of their cars, parking their cars. We were just stuck in traffic. And, you know, going to the store, people were getting booze and things, and girls were coming out. And, and, and as crazy, it just, people were just drinking. It became this giant party <laughs> on the highway. Um, everyone was just losing it, you know? It was just, uh, again, this is... Now I'm really sounding old, but this is before cell phone, you know, before iPhone. <laughs> you know, you had to just be in the moment, which is so, so foreign now. But what were we going to do? We were sitting there, listening to music, inching along. And then I was at some point just passed out in the car. And I remember like being woken up to honks because like now all of a sudden traffic was kind of letting up, daybreak. And we sort of just drove in because there's so many cars just parked and people sleeping. We had to kind of like mm-hmm. navigate, <laughs> weaving in and out, getting to the gate. But got there, you know, found a campsite. We were cooking. this had this little portable Coleman stove, Mike, and it just like, wasn't really working. And I remember making eggs in the morning, and they did not cook. I mean, we pretty much <laughs> ate raw eggs. Uh, <laughs> it was so gross. Um, but, I, you know, I was so exhausted. And here's a fun fact. I was... Sober for all these shows I'm talking about. I did not mm-hmm. drink. I did not do drugs. I was a good little boy who, you know, obeyed the law. And if it wasn't legal, I didn't do it. I, my dad was a politician, and it was just very, you know, ingrained in me. Like I can't break the law. So, you were also a politician. I was you were also our student, student body president. president. That's right. <laughs> and I campaigned to have a booze-free Bazell party, which was our big party every year. That that didn't go well. I, they, um, they still elected you president on that still, platform? Well, they, they didn't know about that until I got in. I, 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 <laughs> that, that was the, you know, that's the switcheroo. That was the poison no-pill legislation. Exactly. <laughs> is, is sober fish, I, you know, I, I have many friends who love going to fish sober, and I've, I've done both now in terms of, of how I yeah. enjoy it. There's, there is kind of something special about the only thing getting you off in that oh. environment being the music. Yeah, I mean, and again, I didn't have anything to compare it to, so I was, you know, I, I was just, and that, that, that's just, my bond to it is so pure in that way because, like, truly, like, every time I lit, heard Fish, listened to it, went to a show, stone sober, um, it's just the music did it for me. And for a lot of people, I know it's like a mix of the two or... There is definitely a fringe that is just about the drugs and just about the party, and the music is almost secondary, or you can't listen to it if they're not fucked up. But um, for me, it's like purely the love of the music, and and it, and and I love all music really. Like so, it's just the fact that they had all these influences. I'm like oh, bluegrass, I love bluegrass. You know, I mean, I have Bill Monroe CDs and like all that stuff, and. Um, just, yeah, I mean, the, the biblical stuff they do, the gospel kind of thing. Daniel saw the stone. I guess that's in that bluegrass realm, but I love that song, you know? And, and, and the covers and, um, yeah, the funk and the, and the jazz elements to it. 
and the hard rock. I mean, honestly, the truth of the matter is the hard, hardest hard rock stuff that Fish does is the stuff that I least connect with because that's just not, you know, it took me a while to like get into Axilla, you know? It took me, um, I mean, I don't need to hear Kung or, you know, Big Black Furry Creature from Mars ever again. Uh, like those, you know, the, the, big, the Big Black Furry, like that stuff, just the hard, hard stuff. I, I, I wasn't a Slayer guy, I wasn't a metal guy. So that's the one element of fish that I, I, I don't connect with as strongly. But it's, it's, it's definitely, I've grown more with it over the years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just a pure love for the music and what they do and their talent. And, uh, and then, you know, when I did start introducing some of the, some of the enhancements, I mean, then it was just like, oh my God, like, (laughs) holy shit. Now I get it. Like now I understand why everyone's doing drugs all the time, (laughs) but like, it's just, you know, yeah, it's just next, 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 next level. But still, I mean, without it, it's still amazing without it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I've not, now that I've experienced it both, uh, I'll I'll, I'll kind of like choose. Sometimes I I love to get go go for it, go crazy with it. But I'll still see shows sober. It's mm-hmm. it's totally how I'm feeling. Um, and so you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, you you've introduced people to fish, brought them to their first shows. What is that reaction typically like? Do you kind of have to explain how it works? Do people connect with it right away? Yeah, I mean, I, in fact, that first show I went to, I went with my girlfriend at the time, who my my high school sweetheart, who again not into fish, Greenwich girl, like not even really into music as far as I can tell that much. Um, I think I took my, I think my sister came with us for that one as well. And, um, you know, I haven't, this was 20 something years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago. I, I should probably ask her, I'm still in touch with, with, with that girl friend who's now married with two kids and lives in Beverly Hills, but, uh, maybe I'll ask her what she thought of that show. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, probably, I think she was, you know, it's just, a, it's a it's spectacle, right? Just going to a concert's fun. I can't say she became a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that's true of probably every girlfriend I've taken to a fish show. They'll, they'll, they'll sort of just go because I like it and it's a fun thing to go out and do something. But I can't think I've, I can't believe I've converted anybody other than my sister who I, who really got into it. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's tough to... It's always fun to meet someone who ha- who has a love for it, and you have that sort of secret connection and that bond, because mm-hmm. um, it does feel like a bit of a club. But um, it's rare that I'm I'm converting people these days. I don't know. I haven't really tried in a while. So to kind of take it a step back, because I am interested in kind of tracing how your career trajectory went along with kind of your fish experience. Um, and you said earlier that kind of your best show ever uh, work-wise was your first ever stand-up show. When was that? How did you get into it? How did you know that that was something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, my first, yeah, my first stand-up show was, was January 28, 2005. Uh, and so like I said, that came after my first, my first fish show. But, um, Doing stand-up, and yeah, it was part of this class I took in college that year. The final project was to do five minutes of original material. Wrote some stuff together I'd never performed before. I mean, I'd done the student body president speeches. That was kind of my proto stand-up. But, uh, you know, writing stand-up jokes with punchlines and everything, structured jokes, and then workshopping in the class. And then the, the teacher, I guess, saw that my material was, you know, the strong, stronger, strongest, of the group, there were like 22 kids in this class. 
that we do the final show. We invite everybody from campus. Like 300 people show up. They over capacity in this room because it was like the dead of winter and nobody had anything to do. They're sitting on the stage um, and 22 people in the class and he puts me basically last. There was a, there was a, I, I was second to last to a, a, a magician. <laughs> you can't follow a magician. <laughs> so he, put the, he put the guy who did magic in comedy at the very end. I was, I was penultimate on the bill and um, it was like, you know, probably because I had 21 warm-up acts, like the room mm. was just so hot, so electric. And I, I just started telling me from the first joke to last, it was like sustained laughs, like applause breaks. Like it was, it was, ins- it's hard to picture again, like just a more forgiving room and just the absolute perfect environment to do comedy for the first time. It, mm. It's like I had 300, you know, best friends. I had no, I didn't know these people, but just the, the energy they're giving me was just so supportive and losing their minds. And I was like, after that show, people came up to me like, have you done that before? And I was like, no. They're like, you should do this. You're good <laughs> at this. I was like, really? I mean, strangers telling me that I should make, the, make this my thing. And I really, you know, going into that show, going to that class, it was like, oh, I'm going to get two credits to watch George Carlin DVDs and Richard Pryor. Like, that, that's what we were doing. We were just watching stand-up, and I was getting credits for it. That was kind of like what my goal was. I didn't think I'd be finding, you know, changing my life in the way that it did. But then, yeah, I, I caught that bug in a big way. And then I did an open mic like two weeks later with the same material, went down to D.C., this little coffee shop, and it was a total bomb. <laughs> learned, learned a very big lesson very early on about, you know, audience. <laughs> Audiences matter. Seinfeld mm-hmm. is wrong. <laughs> you can have bad audiences. Yeah, Seinfeld's never had a bad audience because they all f- lose their mind for him. They don't care. But if you're an unknown comic, um, you need to have a, an attentive crowd at least. I mean, this was a coffee shop, people on their laptops, no one paying attention. It was like stand-up was like an annoyance. It was like, oh, there's a show going on? Fucking shit, you know? It was one of those situations. So definitely audience matters. 300 s- college kids, you know, maybe drunk, maybe high, um, warmed up by 20 other comics. That's, that, that's the audience you want. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of tracks with, you know, fish too, right? I mean, they, they were playing yeah. empty rooms and coffee houses for, you know, a decade or so before anyone really started booking them in, you know, big rooms and stuff. So like, do you think, I mean, you, you're, I, you're so right. I think Jim I read somewhere. I mean, you, you, you read, I read somewhere that you, you almost left New York. You almost left comedy in New York. You were living at home before HQ. Like yeah. it, it wasn't like you were a big, hot New York city comic no, in, no, no. you know, the mid two thousands that people were paying top dollar for. So no. like, how do you move through that kind of environment where like, you're just, you're getting pummeled. You're, you're doing something, you know, you're good at. You know that people will appreciate it if you could get the right audience in the room. But yet, night after night, you're going to these open mics and just, I mean, I'm sure you weren't bombing every night because that would be just brutal. But like, I'm sure you were bombing a lot. And it's it's hard. It is hard. And, um, you know, the the sort of cheat code I had around that was started producing my own shows, which is what a lot of people do because at the very, very least... Now you have a play, a regular place where you can try your material. You can book other guests. You know, and they're not like open. It's not an open mic. I mean, it's a very, it's, it's, it's just a slight step up from an open mic. But you're controlling the show. You're booking the show, 
and you're promoting the show and you have a vested interest in the show. So you get your friends to come out. So you, you know, you, you, you can perform for your friends at the very least. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I did for, for many, many years. Um, you know, I, I hosted an open mic even just even hosting something. Uh, and then my, again, my friends know every Wednesday, six o'clock, Scott's going to be at auto shrunken head on 14th street. You know, we'll go catch it. Um, and that was sort of like a book to open mic too. So we, we kind of took our liberties with, with vetting people, but, um, you know, uh, you definitely eat a lot of shit. And, but like you said with fish, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I love listening to that, you know, Boulder 88 box set they put out and you know, you're hearing the, the, maybe there's 20 people in the whole room. You hear the woos, you hear like individual chatter <laughs> and there's no like, totally dead room, but they're playing their minds out and, they're probably converting a few people, right? Like they definitely had their fans already out there. That was the first time in Colorado. So somehow they had, you know, people trading tapes, whatever it was, they'd established some small fan base in this mountain town. And, but I'm sure there are a lot of people there who never, obviously never seen them before, but never heard them before coming with their friends. And that's kind of what it is. It's similar to stand up. You have to just go around, play a show. You know, you gain a few fans. They tell their friends next time you come back, they bring their friends. And it is a word of mouth thing. I mean, now, there are a lot of other ways to distribute yourself with, you know, podcasts and TikTok and whatever. But, um, but with, with stand-up, I mean, yeah, I, you know, you, you, do, you do the college show. And then guess what? I started a college club on, on, on campus, like a college stand-up club. And we did more regular shows. And I would petition to open for the people who came to uh, visit school, like the UCB Touring Company and Greg Giraldo. Like, I would open for them. And then... I booked my own shows on campus and brought John Mulaney down and Nick Kroll and, you know, Baron Vaughn and, um, you know, some friends of mine that I just had seen in New York and loved. I started booking shows on campus and, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it's the kind of thing where you have to just be a promoter, be active in that way, um, produce your own shows. I mean, Fish was doing the college shows, right? And like on campus and they, that's where they established their first fans. So that's kind of how I did do. Like I did my show on campus and my first fans there. And then, you know, I didn't tour like they did, but had I, you know, if you do that a little more extensively, maybe you have friends in different schools. Oh, this guy, I did do some shows like Tufts, visiting Mike up there. You know, I visit some friends and try to throw a show together or host some open mic there or something. So yeah, I was always looking to get up and, um, it is, it is a similar uh, kind of thing. You're right, James. I didn't really think about that. Never compared myself to fish before, but I, I think <laughs> you're right. I am the fish of comedy. <laughs> so we have to talk about HQ trivia. Uh, for those who don't remember HQ uh, in 2017, uh, this is a hyper viral trivia app that came out uh, and kind of took everything by storm. I mean, it was, it was a game that would kind of like ping your iPhone multiple times a day. And then you would go in and it would be this kind of live trivia experience hosted by our guest here today, Quiz Daddy. When, how did you get that audition? What was that audition like? Did you know that it was going to be life changing? Like walk us through that whole experience. Sure. Um, you know, I, uh, I was, yeah, the truth is I, I was sort of done with New York. This was spring of 2017. I had done my show there. I had produced my own talk show. So I went from those open mics, producing stand-up shows, and I said, I want to do a talk show. So I'm going to produce my own talk show. And I did a sports show called 12 Angry Mascots with my friend Neil Janowitz. 
for three years, and then I and then the sports thing wasn't you know sort of hitting a wall, and I did Running Late with Scott Rogowski, my own talk mm-hmm. show, for like 2011 to 2019. Um, I think James, you were there too. You caught my one of my Running Late oh, yeah. shows. Um, I did. Katie Turr. I did when, uh, with Katie Turr. Yeah. Katie Turr. That's great. That's right. So, um, you know, producing your own shows and, 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 and took that out to Boston, took it out to L.A. And I really found a great venue in L.A. And I, I just love the fact that I can book all these celebrity guests there so easily. And I had Weird Al Yankovic out there and Joe Manganiello and, uh, I mean, Reggie Watts and, like, all these all these big names that I, I loved and um, was able to just easily book. So... I was, my plan was to move out of New York after 2017 and move home that summer, save some money, and then uh, move to LA and do my show out there, find a, do a weekly show or a monthly at, at the very least um, to build up this show, this Running Late Show, which I'd done for, in New York for so long and had the critics pick in New York Magazine and New York Times and New York have been written up and pretty much everything I could do would reach that New York media world. But, um, and the shows were selling well and they were doing, they were fun. But um, I wasn't being discovered, right? Like I was waiting for that discovery moment. And it it was like this fantasy I had of, uh, you know, not necessarily Lauren Michaels finding me because I didn't want to do SNL, but, but, you know, Lauren, Lauren, you know, found Conan O'Brien. So I thought maybe someone, you know, he, he took an obscure writer and made him a star of this talk show. I was like, maybe I could um, get some kind of talk show in some capacity on TV. And then when Fallon, when um, Conan left late night to do the Tonight Show and they were looking for a new host, I was like, this is my opportunity. I made a funny video and I actually went to 30 Rock to try to get Lauren Michaels' attention. Um, but, you know, I was trying these things and, and some people saw them, but it, it wasn't, I wasn't breaking through in a real big way. So I said, you know what? I tried it here. Let's go to LA. And I never went because I got a call that April from a guy I used to work with at The Onion 10 years prior. I interned there, and he was, he was a photo editor there, and we'd been in touch over the years on Facebook. He said, hey, I'm working with the founders of Vine. They're looking to start this like talk show, this game show on your phone, and you know they're looking for a host, and I thought of you. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Um, guess I'll do this one last thing before I move to LA, audition for my one last thing. I, I never got anything I auditioned for. I did a few commercial auditions, like Broad City, search party, you know, some of these shows and nothing, nothing was coming. So I said, screw it. Like what I have to lose. I showed up to this thing and it was also like a game show on the phone. Like who, you know, this is the lowest, <laughs> the low. I mean, I couldn't care less about the Snapchat comedy at the time. And like this new age, this was like, you know, creators just getting started making content, um, doing the whole, you know, comedy con. It was just all so bad to me. And the fact that there were no gatekeepers was like a bummer to me. Like I wanted <laughs> there to be gatekeepers because I've, I've been working in that system for so long and to have people all of a sudden now just jump the line because they posted some dumb video, like, this isn't fair, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you got to put in the right. work, you got to get discovered. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, I really went to the audition with just no expectations and not really any eagerness to get it and just being myself, being silly and... I guess they liked me and they hired me and that was HQ that became HQ trivia. So I stayed in New York. The job was in New York Found a place back in the city, moved back into the city and just, um, rode that thing out until yes, it ultimately crashed and burned. I left before the final, final explosion. But, uh, yeah, it was a while, it was a wild ride, man. 
as as Gordon says in Coventry, been a wild ride. <laughs> Never forget that line. You remember that? He's just like that's that's like all he had to say. That was all such a fucking. We could make this all about Coventry. God, man, that was so depressing. It was so weird. Like I thought that we'd be getting more from these guys, more emotion. Been a wild ride. That was that was. I, I still weep every time I watch the uh, Velvet Sea video, though. Yeah, yeah know. it's you know just, just know. blubber. I know. So, did you use fish as your catchphrase from the very first HQ, or did that develop over time? No. Yeah, no, that was a development. I was, I was, you know, just doing this thing. Didn't know how, how long it would go for, but they had some kind of like script for me, just a basic like, "Hey, this is HQ, the game show, live game show, where you answer questions to win money." And I'm your host, Scott Rogowski, and this, and it just like got so boring for me to say the same thing over and over again, twice a day, every day. So I had to make it interesting for myself, and that's when I started throwing in the nicknames and the fake places where I was broadcasting from, and all the puns and just you know all the Michigas at the top of the show, and then the nitty gritty, you know, the catchphrase, which which I lovingly uh, took from ACDC bag. It just kind of was more, I guess maybe one show I said let's get this show on the road because that's what you say sometimes right and then I was like let's get the show on the road let's get down to the nitty gritty and get this show on the road you know and uh, that was my little little hint for those who would know would get it mm-hmm. so many people though didn't and thought I was like just saying let's get down to the nitty gritty let's get the show on the road and like I feel like I popularized not only that phrase, but the term nitty gritty even like that just <laughs> to the point where I think gritty, the, the, the Flyers mascot being named gritty. I think oh. I had some subliminal subliminal influence on the naming of gritty, the mascot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the fish fans caught it and it, that was so cool. I mean, that was one of the coolest things to happen from HQ was um, it wasn't just fish. It was the, this radio show. I listened to the best show. Um, and, and their fan, I would drop in references to their show, and their fans would would go nuts. I'd watch these Facebook groups, like people would be saying, "Oh, Scott mentioned this," or "Scott, you know, had this fish drop," and and then I really went crazy with the fish stuff for like, I guess the Baker's Dozen shows or the Garden Runs. Like every time there'd be a big moment in fishdom, um, I would like do like the way Katie Turr would would do, like those full on you know, intros that are just chock full of, of drops. And um, those were so fun to write and so fun to do. And like the feedback from fish fans. Yeah. It's just the fact that like Trey knows who I am now because of this, the band knows, like I guess his kids played it <laughs> and he loved playing with his kids and hearing the references. He was kind of like, you know, humbled and honored by it and everything. I was like, dude, are you serious? Like <laughs> this, that blew my mind. I mean, that blew my mind that, um, that I was, I was, I was getting that kind of uh, recognition, and then the band itself, you know, Tom, uh, Tom Marshall, uh, you know, I met up with him at shows, and um, I, I, I was my my. Uh, what kills me is that I was supposed to be at Curveball as a guest of the band. I was going to be going up there to do trivia, fish trivia on the lot, kind of walking around as part of their programming. Uh, and I probably would have met the band. I was really hoping. Something I haven't done yet. I haven't fully met the band. I've had some really close calls, like just missing people. I met Trey at the Hands on the Hard Body musical mm-hmm. uh, in the final night. I, I kind of gamed that. I kind of hoped he would be there, figured he'd be there. Sure enough, he was there, bought tickets, got to meet him after the show. Um, 
and then I, he, you know, I've also been like in small at Rockwood Music Hall when he's been uh, a surprise guesting on on some things. And but I haven't met um, I haven't met the rest of the band, so I was really excited to to do that. And then of course it got canceled. No mas, curveball, brutal. So yeah, just all the the, the the being being sort of enmeshed in the community and having fan, you know having fans recognize me at shows and just it's such a blast i just love i love that i was able to kind of create this thing that uh you know i like oh relics magazine writing me up i mean being part of that was incredible um just just being uh, uh being able to sort of you know bring fish into the mainstream a little bit because hq was very mainstream and internationally mm-hmm. popular and having millions of people play like you know probably 0. 0.005 Five percent, you know, had even heard a fish song from the people play, playing HQ. So mm-hmm. to kind of sneak that in there for the fans and to create this thing, I know how much fans love, you know, fish references. You know, Broad City, Abby dropping those references, and Katie Turr, and it was just like a fun thing to a little tradition to kind of fall into there. Um, and I was just thrilled to be able to do it. Yeah, at its peak, I think uh, the Super Bowl episode, HQ had like 2 million viewers, which is, you know, bigger than any fish show. Yeah. Um, and you were you were bringing their lyrics kind of to the masses. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, the, 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 the Rock, when I had The Rock, that was over 2 million. And that was devices, mind you. So not to, not to nitpick here, but this is something that, you know, it took HQ a while to realize. We had to hire Nielsen to come in, the ratings company, to give us an accurate portrayal of the viewers because... The number you saw at the top of the screen was connected devices. There could be mm-hmm. five people. There could be all office sitting around one phone, a family. You know, who yeah. knows how many people are actually watching each phone, each iPad. I would conservatively say probably close four to five million on some of those big shows. People um, watching yeah. watching the show. So yeah, it, it's it was crazy. The numbers were crazy. That's that's probably accurate. I actually I remember uh, Thanksgiving. I was home with my family and we were all doing it. Right, um, right. I played the was, same Thanksgiving game at the same. You know, we weren't at the same dinner table, but it, the, the entire <laughs> table that year, we were all playing. We were all looking so at you. Crazy, so crazy, man. So once you kind of became very well known, I mean, you you know, you had four to five million people watching you every day. Um, how did that change your experience at shows? You said you had people kind of coming up to you. Do you get recognized a lot? What's that like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say, you know, I'll, 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 I'll share this here cause I'm an adult now and I think the statute of limitations has run out, <laughs> but whatever, but <laughs> I, um, 20, yeah, it was that 2017 new year's run or wait a minute. Was it, was it that one? Or was it? Um, yeah, th- yes, it, w- it was that run, I believe. Now, now I'm uh, getting mixed up here. It had to have been, right? Maybe not. New Year's. I, uh, gosh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back into the, into the record books. I believe it was the 2017 into 2018 at MSG. So I had tickets to New Year's that night, and um, then all of a sudden I'm being told hey, you're gonna be on New Year's Rock and Eve on ABC, and Jenny McCarthy's gonna be interviewing you like at 11.30. I was like, what? And I told the guy, like, listen, I got fish tickets. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> They're like, listen, you're doing it. I'll pay you back for the tickets and I'll give you tickets another night. So he got me tickets to maybe the 29th or 30th. And um, I go with my, my friend Steph and uh, we, uh, she doses me. I do acid for the first time. And 
it was insane because <laughs> not only am I in this in, in, incredible state of mind, but I'm being recognized and people are coming up to me all night long <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, I don't know where I know them from and I kind of forget, you kind of forget that you're, you're on drugs and you're just like, people are just like so friendly and open, like, hey, hey, Scott. And they're, you know, they all know my name and I'm just like looking at them like, hey, <laughs> where do we, where do we, camp? Like, do we go to camp together? I'm like trying to place them. Like everyone just trying, like everyone looks so familiar to me, but I never, I never seen them before. It was wild and it was like happening so much. It was like a total sensory overload, just being bombarded with people. Um, and uh, it, that was just such a fun, fun night. I mean, I'll never forget the snow, it was snowing when we left the show. We went, got some Korean food in Koreatown and it was just, oh man, it was a trip. It was a real trip. <laughs> but That is it, a perfect yeah. first trip. Most, most people are not that fortunate. Yeah, no. Um, I can't say I've done it since, and I can't, almost don't want to. Like, I want to be that just pure, amazing night that I'll always remember, you know? I, I, I like to... Quality over quantity is how I do things. Well, Try everything you know, once. Um, have you ever seen anyone at a fish show that you've been starstruck by, other than the band, obviously? Uh, well, I, I've, I've run into um, Rocco Baldelli, Minnesota Twins manager now. This is before he was manager, I think. Um, but Rocco became a friend. I knew Rocco from years before. So that was actually, you know what's funny? Yes, who I converted to fish. I'm not going to take credit, but, but Rocco was just getting into fish when I met him, like just getting into it. And I, I probably helped cement it for him. I mean, I, I think I gave him some shows and I said, I mean, I was definitely, we, we were talking fish and I was, I was, he hadn't seen a show yet and I was pumping it up and I'm like, dude, you got to go. And I was sending him links and Yeah. Um, this was, that was probably like 20, 2013 uh, or so when I, when I first met him, 2012, but, uh, but Rocco, man, he's, I've seen him at shows and he's now, you know, he won manager of the year. I mean, he's a big time baseball figure and a young guy too. He could be manager for, he can be a hall of fame manager if he keeps going for 40 years. So, um, that was, that was pretty cool running to him and, uh, Modest Yahoo. Uh, and, and, and it's cool. Like I wouldn't say I'm starstruck because like. It's all happened at the point where now, you know, I'm friends with him and now we're like hanging out in the lot together and, uh, you know, but it was, I didn't know he was going to be there. That was at, that was at, at Camden uh, a few years back. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's just cool to, you know, to, to, to know people, know other fans, have those moments together. Um, I don't know, stars, who else? I mean, what stars go to fish shows? <laughs> I haven't you seen you listed almost half of them so yeah. far. Take, so. A, yeah. take a look at our schedule. <laughs> exactly. Um, Every time yeah, I see yeah. you, Gabby, <laughs> and James, I'm starstruck. You kidding me? Modest Yahoo? <laughs> um, well, I got to ask, Modest Yahoo on the, on the lot, what is that yeah. like? Oh, it was, it was cool, man. I mean, you know, he's, he had his uh, a girlfriend or wife with him at the time, and I was with my girlfriend at the time. And um, we, uh, yeah, definitely got stopped for photos a bunch of times. But... Um, you know, he loves the band too. I mean, he just wants to go and have a good time. And, and uh, he's, you know, I don't know how many people recognize Manas Yao. Every, I think people still think of him having the, the payas and the black hat and everything. So I feel like a lot of people are surprised when they, when they see him. He had a glow up. He really did, yeah. He's hot. He's dreamy. Part of the appeal of being at a live fish show is losing yourself in the crowd and losing yourself in the music and kind of leaving your 
head and your body and and just joining this collective experience, does being a known face and a known person change that experience? No, because, you know, it's not happening. It's not like they're like in the middle of a yem jam and uh, someone's like asking for a photo or something. You know, it's at set break or before or after the show and... um, it's totally fine. I mean, I, 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 and I love talking to people. I love, I love, um, you know, I love meeting fellow fans. And obviously if you're at a show, you're surrounded by them. So, you know, in a normal show, I, and the truth is I am like an introvert, right? I am, I'm not, I'm not the most, uh, I'm not the kind of guy who's just going to start talking up strangers. I know a lot of fish fans do that, especially when, when, you know, when you're on something, it's easier, but, um, I'm, you know, so it's nice when people come up to me and initiate a conversation because I, I would love to talk to people. I just, uh, I'm not going to be the one to initiate most of the time. So, um, but, you know, I don't think of myself as a celebrity even. I don't, it's just like, a, especially at a fish show, I just, I just love to, um, I just want to just, yeah, like you said, melt into the crowd and be a fan. And, but it, it's, it's very easy to do that. I, I don't feel any, any difference. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, you kind of said you're not a celebrity, although I have to say, I don't know how many non-celebrities vintage stores get the full GQ write-up. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, also, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this, too. I'm wearing a shirt specifically for this, for this tape in here. This was the moment that made me think, like, my God, what have I done? Um, <laughs> this is my God, what have tour, you done? Summer tour 2018, <laughs> and I think, I, think I, I saw pictures of it first online. And then my friend, I think Mike bought it for me. But then to see it at Merriweather that year in person, and this was an amazing moment. So this like one vendor was selling the shirt with my face on it. It says, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's get this show on the road. It's got the tour dates on the back. I will say this, it's a pretty ugly shirt. I mean, oh my God. I don't know know how many people bought this thing, but I'm not aesthetically pleased with this shirt. I really think they could have done a little better with it. I, I, I kind of hope they have hundreds sitting in storage <laughs> that they'll never sell, just w- well, waste wasting their inventory. But um, I've, of course, bought one. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I go up to the table at the show, right, at Shakedown. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I'm, uh, I'm pointing to the shirt, and I'm saying, like, yeah, um, like, who is this guy? Like, what is this about? I'm like, I'm like asking them to explain. I'm like, I don't get it. And they're like, oh, it's this, 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 uh, it's like this game show on your phone, this app thing, and this host, and he, he's a fish fan. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird shirt. And then I, I ask, I ask, I'm asking other people around, and basically, I, I, I was basically just being obnoxiously inquisitive about this shirt. To the, and then, <laughs> and then at some point, it clicked in the middle, looking at me, looking at the shirt, I'm like, wait a minute, you're. You're you're the guy. You're the shirt. I'm like, yeah. Actually, I'm here to collect royalties. Uh, so if you're using an un- unlicensed photograph. Um, I did have the this FBI with me. This is a citizen's arrest. Yeah, that helped. <laughs> no, I, they gave me a shirt actually, and they said, please don't, please don't sue us. No, no, no. You know, do what you want. I I, I mm-hmm. hope there were a hundred shirts with my face on it. That was that's the true egoist in me <laughs> talking. <laughs> no, it was it was very cool to have the one. I couldn't. I really couldn't believe it. And. Um, it's, uh, you know, a shirt I don't wear, but it's a shirt I will <laughs> hold forever. Well, we are honored that you brought it out on this, and yeah. I will definitely be searching eBay oh, to yeah. see if I can get my hands on one. Probably get 10 for a dollar. Um, do you, 
Well, I mean, you, I, I know a guy who's dealing in vintage. If uh, right, this is almost vintage. Any, yeah. any rack space? Have you come across any really cool fish gear in your kind of vintage pursuits? Oh yeah, I am a huge. Okay, so I collect vintage clothing. Thank you for plugging the store. Quiz Daddy's Closet, twenty five twenty five Main Street, Santa Monica, at QDC.VTG on IG. I have a, an extensive vintage teacher collection, band tees, specifically dead and fish tees, and then all the spinoffs, you know, Gordon, and I got the Vita Blue tee, and I got the Tab tees. got some really cool Trey. Oh, my God, I have an amazing 2002 Trey Solo boot, bootleg Lotch tee. It's like Anastasio Online. It's got the AOL thing, <laughs> like logo, Anastasio amazing. Online. And then, and then it has on the back, it's got this like buddy list graphic with all the dates. Oh, it's so cool. Um, Can yeah, you send so us I, pictures of that? Oh my God! I've, well, they're all back in New York, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I have some great fish lattes from the ni- early '90s and tour tees from pretty much every tour from like '93 uh, to you know present day. Um, but the '90s, the Pollock tees I have. I mean, I've got some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I should do some gallery at some point. Show them off. Definitely. And is that all personal collection or These can are those all be found? NFS, not for sale. I have a few, you know, duplicates or mids that I'll throw in the racks to appease the crowds here. I did have a great 96, you know, lemon wheel, I think it was. It's the summer tour tie-dye bootleg that I had in the window for a while. And I don't know, honestly, to this day, I don't know why I sold it. But I think I got, like, a good, good money for it. So for, for the right price, I guess I had to let it go. Well, if you come across any more uh, Spice Girls t-shirts, you know I'm I'm in the market. I got them. So uh, before, we'll wrap things up really quickly, but I did think James had a really interesting question before, if you feel kind of comfortable making that comparison, just kind of the kind of parallels between what happened with HQ and kind of the band at its worst points. Mm. Um, The trappings of success. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the. I guess that's one way to look at it. I, I never actually never thought about this, but you know, it, it's it's also different because the HQ stuff was like, you know, I, I was almost just along for the ride with that thing in, in the sense that people have made the point to me that like, oh, you made the show and I didn't watch it when you were hosting it, but you know, I didn't create the technology. It wasn't. I wasn't. You know, um, a founder of the app. Um, I was a hired host. And uh, so I had no control over the fortunes of the company. I had no real say in, in how they did things and how they managed people, how they built products, how they shipped things. So from all the technological aspects, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, I could, you know, I, with the questions, the editorial side, I, I, I had some control. But the, the running of the business was totally out of my hands. So to see it crash and burn the way it did and... Um, you know, the rise and fall and just the, the, the dysfunction going on behind the scenes that, again, I was, I'm just an innocent bystander here. It was really hard for me to watch it. Um, so I'm trying to remember, maybe it's like feeling like Kuroda, right? Like, how did Kuroda feel when all this was going down? You know, mm-hmm. like, he's not in the band, but he's pretty integral to it. And um, it, it's like, hey, guy, you know, I, I mean, could he, did he have any influence? Could he, could he get these guys help or get Trey sober? Who knows? I, I know, probably not, you know? So it's just like, well, you're ending the band. I guess I have to end my career too. <laughs> um, so I, I, that, that's prob- that's more like how it felt for me was just sort of mm-hmm. being a being a, a, a sort of passenger on the ride, 
and, and, and sadly, I wish I had more control. I think I could have helped turn things around and, and, and led in a different direction. But, you know, yeah, the success of it, I, I, I certainly... You know, I didn't get into drugs like because of HQ. I, I didn't. It didn't affect my <laughs> life in any real way. Um, uh, unfortunately, for you know, for for one of our founders, it was uh, who knows. I mean, it, it was ultimately fentanyl that killed him. So it was just like another one of these horrific uh, fentanyl uh, murders, basically. Um, so uh, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's hard to really uh, make comparisons there. I don't even feel right about you know falling into that narrative of like, well, look what happened. You know, the, the fame and fortune was too much. It, it really wasn't like that. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the guy was a lifelong addict, it turns out, and, and um, he just had some bad stuff that night. And it's just like that happens, unfortunately. So, you know. Totally. I, I think the, the comparison is more apt to just even even the app going bust than necessarily. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like the but more like tragic it's just, Right, but I mean, like, you know, Trey, Trey getting, getting arrested and... Um, you know, I mean, he he could have killed himself had had that kept going. So, you know, there is a similarity there. Um, but but the band, I mean, it's also different too because like the band could end, but the music will be there forever, and you can always listen to it. When HQ ends, it's like, well, there's you're not going to watch old episodes of HQ, you know. <laughs> and, and like, it, it, I it's, do. You do. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. You, you do. Yeah, you trade. You trade HQ tapes. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm, I'm, um, I'm trading bootlegs. As great as things are, you know, there's there's a lesson too because it's like, and frankly, like Fish is the fact that they made the recovery and got back into it and got sober and are playing. I think the best they've ever played in some respects. I mean, that again, that forum show was unbelievable, mm-hmm. and they're just ripping, you know, and like. To do that and to be, at this point, if not the, the, the longest-running, one of the longest-running continual lineup bands in, like, rock history. You know, when you think, I mean, you know, Rolling Stones, how many, different players, how many different musicians have been in the Rolling Stones over the years? You know, how many people, Allman Brothers dying and, you know, reforming and all this, the dead. Like, Fish has been the same four guys for 40 years now, coming up on 40 years. And the ah. fact that they can do that, um, it's just a testament to who they are, I guess, as people and, and, and the love and respect they have for each other. Kind of what, what inspired us to start this podcast in the first place was the idea that so many people love this band and, and influential people, yourself included. Um, but if you're not a fan, you really don't know anything about it. You really don't understand. Um, how do you explain Fish or introduce Fish to people that don't already kind of have that intuitive understanding? Like, how do you defend the fandom? I, I mentioned it earlier. I just think it's, um, you, you know, I think I think there's something for everyone, for every any type of musical taste, but for the most part. I mean, you could even, yeah, you like hip hop? Okay, let's let's play the "Getting Jiggy with It" cover from Hampton Comes Alive or the Jay Z collab from Coney Island. <laughs> you know, they could do that. They could do hip hop. No, they could do pretty much any genre. And um, so I would, I would, like I said, try to match what they like to to a song that fits their their personal taste. The other thing is, like, you're not gonna convert everybody. Not everybody likes every all, all the same things. That's just how it is. You know, mm-hmm. you like what you like. I like what I like. I, I it, it is a little crazy. To me. I mean, and 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 I think we also kind of <laughs> cut. Uh, we also give fish a little short shrift when it comes to the conversations around them because 
and I've done it myself here, you know, saying, oh, there's a, it's a small club, it's a, this, like, secret kind of thing, and, you know, but I don't have numbers. I, maybe someone could do a study, but there, there are a substantial amount of people now that it's been 40 years, and there's generations of, and you see a lot of young kids going to shows. Like, the fandom, I think, is bigger than ever, probably, and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you think about some college kids in the, you know, in Keene State in 91 or something being like, that's Fish's fandom, you know, you got to be from v Vermont, you got to be at Nectar's, like, that's, that's Fish's fandom. It's so much bigger now. And they have their own freaking radio station on Sirius XM for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, they, they sell out all these shows. They make a ton of money. They sell a ton of merch. And the, they're they're big. They're a massive, massive band. And yes, they've done it without the radio support and without the mainstream, um, you know, the 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 whole, you know, industry push. Which is again, like, it just proves how good they are. I mean, they, like the mm -hmm. fact that they could do that without some radio stations telling you telling you you have to listen to this. It's so funny. I have you know my T-shirts that I collect. I've got all these. Jing I love the Jingle Ball shirts, like the pop mm -hmm. festivals they do at Christmas time. Every city's got one. And I've got these shirts from 2009, 2012. And some of these pop names, like, who the hell is Orianthi? <laughs> or like, uh, like uh, fucking, what was another one? Like, Jay Sean. And, uh, you know, Austin <laughs> Mahone even. It's like, I don't, I that name is somewhat, I feel like I saw that name, but like, I can't name an Austin Mahone song. And like these people are on the cover of the, sh the front of the shirts. They're like the biggest thing in 2012 and 2009. And like now they're completely mm -hmm. unknown and fully forgotten. And that's purely iHeartRadio, purely radio and labels pushing these acts and saying, you're going to like uh, Ollie Furs. You know, like <laughs> we're going to just jam Ollie Furs down your throat. <laughs> um, like, sorry, it don't work that way. Uh, is that the guy's name? Ollie? My, 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 what the name is his name? Ollie? I have never, I, I don't Ollie listen Murs. to the radio. Oh my God, his name's <laughs> name Ollie Furs. Ollie Murs. M-U-R-S. So yeah, that just goes to show how little I know about this guy. But, but that's yeah, my point. Yeah, point like, in case. That's my point. Fish did it without any of that. You have to be good. You just have to mm -hmm. be good. And I think if, if anyone's skeptical or if anyone's going to, you know, shit on them, listen to them, you know, and, and, and. What bothers me is guys like Eric Andre, who I've known for years, and you know he would make fun of Fish in his stand-up, and I'd be like, dude. And he went to Berkeley College of Music, and I, would, I gave him, I burned Fish CDs for him, like, dude, listen to this, listen to this. Like, you know, my Tom Sharpling of the Best Show, I've tried to get him into Fish, and he's into Prague. He's a big Kim, King Crimson fan. He's a big Wand fan now. Band, the band Wand's amazing. Um, they're basically a jam band. And I was listening to some Wand jams, and it's like this could be a fish jam, you know. So, they're they're. Uh, it bothers me sometimes when people are so stubborn about it. Like, I feel like if you just have a little open mind, you could, you everyone could become a fish fan, and uh, at least come away with a few songs you really like. Well, that sounds like a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's like something like they've sold. 500 half a billion dollars in in just touring sales yeah. um so you're right it is much bigger than we kind of give it credit for when we talk i think we like to have it as like a small exactly to feel like it's a small club that we right. well, have discovered nice, something you can still feel that way and 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 you know it, it, it's like i think of fish shows as family reunions you know it's like we're mm -hmm. all just getting together and the family grows every year and it's it's, it's really great 
Um, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for kind of meandering around with us. Uh, yeah, I have a couple really quick rapid fire questions for you, mm-hmm. and then you are free to go. Um, do you prefer floor or or seats? Floor. Mm-hmm. 100%. Rail or not? I've never done the rail, and uh, I'm not that dedicated to go and push my way through. I'm also very non-confrontational. I'm not going to be elbowing my way to the front. I'm not going to get there five hours early to get the spot. I'm just, I'm happy to be in the middle of the pack, but I, I, being on the floor is, uh, you know, you just don't have the seat to bother you when you're dancing, because I'm not sitting. I'm dancing the whole time, and, you know, you're in the aisles. The usher's yelling at you. So you get floor when you come. I think the closest I got was Hampton, that Hampton show. My buddy Scott and I, we got. I was probably like twenty feet from Trey. I mean, we were pretty, we were pretty close. We we're pretty up there. I might have touched the rail even, and, and wow. if I didn't ride it. <laughs> um, okay, favorite and least favorite song, and if you have a favorite version. Oh boy, this is too hard. I mean, I mean, bag has to be my favorite song. It's just. Not, you know, and not just because like the nitty gritty thing. I just I've always loved that song. The, the just the major chord progression. Just the, it's just so funky. It's just down, 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 and the lyrics and Trey's, you know, brain dead. Bam, bam. Just all the, <laughs> the the inflections with the vocals and and the way they mix that up and and then the jams on that are just so great. I, I, my only complaint is they sometimes they jam it too. They don't jam it long enough, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> So my favorite version, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that deep into like versions and things. I don't go that crazy with shows. But the bathtub on the 22803 show is maybe mm-hmm. my favorite bathtub ever. It's so good. And the Destiny Unbound, another one of my favorite shows. And that one, again, that show, it's just imprinted on my brain. But when they played that song, and I've listened, I've actually caught it. I caught it at Fenway. They played it again. Maybe like that was like the second time they played it. It was crazy that like I'm seeing the first and second, you know, reprises of Destiny Unbound in, in, in its lifetime. I think I've seen, I've seen it a third time even since then. It's become like my song. Um, but nothing beats that first one, which is mm-hmm. incredible when you think they hadn't played it in 11 years. And maybe they rehearsed it before, but just Trey's. I can, I can transcribe the whole jam to you. So good. <laughs> we uh, will least, challenge you to that. <laughs> least favorite, yeah. Least favorite. Yeah. What, what's your bathroom song? Well, it's got to be pretty much. You know, they don't play a lot off a of big boat, but anything other than Blaze On is pretty, pretty meh for me. And um, I don't know. Let me let me pull out. Enjoy. I mean, yeah. I don't need to hear Joy. You know, that, that whole album was kind of a bummer when I first heard it. I, I've since, this happens a lot too. Like I'll hear an album when it comes out and I'm just like, oh, they're so soft now. They're talking about green tea and loving <laughs> everything and, uh, you know, but, um, but then. Joy makes me cry a little. Joy, yeah. Then, then it's exactly. Then like sometimes it's like. Now I have a new perspective on it, you know, and I hear it and it can make me cry, cry. But, um, but honestly, the whole album joy, it's like, yeah, 20 years later, I love, you know, and, and, and I can deal with, I can deal with Kill Level Falls and Ocelot I like and, uh, yeah, Stealing Time Backwards, whatever. Like, I'm, I don't hate these songs now. I mean, some of the ones that I really <laughs> don't, you know, 
I mean, this, it's hard to say my least favorite, man, You because it's, it's cruel. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, do I need to hear Access Me? No, you know? Do I need to hear, like, <laughs> I'm fortunate to say, uh, Mike's songs, not Mike's song, but some of the Mike-fronted <laughs> songs are a little just meh for me. But then again, like, I came around to Sugar Shack even. You know, I could go Yarmouth Road. I can deal with, but you know, I don't know. Do you think it's it's one of those things where you just have to hear it at the right time with the right group of people? Yeah, and it'll suddenly skyrocket to become your favorite. Okay, here, okay, cut all that out because here's my absolute least favorite, and it's and I can say it because they'll never play it live. I don't think they're ever going to play it live. But yeah, Friends on Big Boat. What in the f? What is that song? <laughs> it's insanely bad. And I've, I always do it right now just to remind. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you hearing this? Can you hear no, it? No, but we, we will pull oh, the audio okay, and we okay. will listen. All right. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess that's just John's vocals on that, too. It's just, oh, come on, buddy. I love you, but you really aren't a great singer. We all know it. We love you when you do your Hold Your Head Up songs. But if you're going to earnestly try to do a song on an album... Nope, no thanks. Watch, they bust that out at the, the show you get to go backstage for. What's, I'm sorry, I, I will go like, hey, we, we played one for you. I was saying, watch, they bust it out at the show you uh, end up backstage oh, for. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have they played it live ever? I don't I'm know. looking this that's up a, now. Friends. That's a... It's been played... Jesus, Friends, it's been played like twice <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> Yeah, they're not doing that again. Well, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. Um, all right, you kind of touched on this before, but if you had to pick one sober show or not? If I had to pick one show, you're saying no, no, no. seeing a show sober or not, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. That's also tricky. Because I, I would say absolutely see your first show sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just so you have a baseline for it, um, it's this is so weird, but it's similar to what I just I was just in Iceland, and I if you if you've thought about going to Iceland or been to Iceland, you know about the Blue Lagoon, which is all over Instagram, that like hot spa. So of course, being a tourist, I booked you have to reserve it ahead of time. So I got a spot at the Blue Lagoon, and then I get to Iceland. And they say, yeah, that is such a tourist trap. All the locals you meet and people are like, you can just go. It's $85 too, by the way, for the Blue Lagoon. Wow. But you can go to any local YMCA, essentially. They all have hot spas, all have hot tubs, all geothermally heated. And for like five bucks, you can go spend the day at one of these you know, hot tub spa things. And, and, and there are like 10 of them in Reykjavik alone. But they say... Go to that first. Go to the YMCA first before you go to the Blue Lagoon because if you do it the other way around, you're going to think the YMCA sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it is a spectacle. The Blue Lagoon is unlike anything else you're going to see out there. And so what? It is a tourist trap. So what? It's expensive. But it is beautiful and the milky water and whatever. So, like, not to say that seeing a show sober sucks, but see a show sober first because you don't want to be, you, you just can't, you need to have that experience before you go for the Blue Lagoon experience. And, you know, I mean, being, being on acid specifically, like I remember hearing Split Open and Melt 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's this is what this song is about, basically. Because I'm splitting open <laughs> and melting right here and now at the show. My brain is splitting mm-hmm. open. I'm seeing like the band like move with the music and like I've looked down, there's this crumpled up napkin, I'll never forget, just at my feet, like a crumpled up napkin, and it was like pulsating and moving, <laughs> stretching apart and splitting apart. I'm like, holy moly, I am in it. And it was phenomenal. I mean, that was just, just blew my mind, you know, literally. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say experience both. Everyone should experience both, but sober first. That's a fair, fair assessment. Uh, uh, favorite venue? Favorite venue, garden. It got to be the garden. Just the, yeah. the history and just the, the the spicy chicken sandwiches and all that, and just uh, you know being in the middle of the city, stepping out. Like I said, you know what else? What other show can you just step outside of and just be in Koreatown, and having some late night bulgogi or japchae or seafood pancake? I love that seafood pancake, man. I also have to say, a recent discovery uh, in Koreatown is there are many 24-hour spas, like nice yeah. spas where you can go Ooh, wow. roll can from imagine? the show right into a back massage, which I think uh, is what Trey said was his ideal of like a perfect fish show mm. would be everyone getting massages, having hot tea in the show. So that, wow. is, uh, that is doable. Um, and then page side or mic side? Page side. Rage side, come on, come on. Even though I was Mike side for my first show, I was Mike side. Uh, Paige it side, I mean, Paige, Paige is just, I don't know, he might be my favorite. I can't pick favorites, but I love Paige. I love his voice. I love his solo stuff. I've listened to his, his which I discovered fairly recently, maybe like only four years ago, like his first solo album which I just put on, it was one of my most played songs of of like the last couple of years on Spotify. Um, Yeah, and all all his, you know, Army of One and Strange Design, all his contributions to the band. Love you, Paige. Squirming Coil. Mm. I'm a big Strange Design fan in the Bluestone household. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, Uh, is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have or that you think is important to note in a podcast such as this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, if it's just if the podcast is just about getting the stories about fandoms from different people, you probably got it, you know? I just, again, I, I just want to stress um, how the, this music, I, I mean, it, it, and I will say this too. I've thought about this a lot. I mean, comparing stand-up or performing and, and being a fan, and I, I, it's, it's one of those things where I almost wish it was more true than it maybe is. Maybe I just don't perform enough anymore, but I, I always feel inspired by Fish because of the improvisation and the way they go up there and just kind of, you know, go for it and wing it. And, 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 and I would, at a perfect world for me, it's like I'm going on stage and I'm improvising the same way and I'm just being in the moment and playing off the audience. And, and sometimes that happens. Um, but uh, when it does happen, you really feel it, and it's incredible. And I just so I always thought about how Fish never gave, you know, never does the same show twice. And I don't like to do the same jokes twice, even. And when I was doing HQ, I never did the same HQ. I never did HQ the same way. I always try to mix up. That was a bit part of the big inspiration was mixing up. You know, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa today. I'm live from Boise, Idaho. Like I would just, even though I'm changing the name, what I call the dollar amounts, you know, my nicknames. I would just change things all the time because. It's that collector mentality, right? It's like people going on Fishnet and, and, and keeping track of every little T 
tease, every little bust out, every, you know, every duration, every in and out of the song. Like people just compulsively uh, track these things. And I, you know, I have that in me. I think a lot of fish fans must have be OCD too, because it's just, it's just one of those things where I, I want, I wanted, I was hoping maybe someone will be documenting what I call the dollar bill, you know, the, the prize this week or tonight or where I'm calling in from tonight. I, I, I kind of had that fantasy too. Like maybe someone's out there obsessively detailing HQ the way I, I detail fish, the way fish fans detail fish. That was, yeah, get that, get that in there. I'll, I'll send you some bootlegs. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, and I guess my, the natural follow-up to that is, would you prefer your stand-up audience to be sober or fully on acid? Oh, fully on acid. Oh. Fully on acid, you got it, you know. That's definitely, we all know that's the best way to experience stand-up. So, <laughs> drop um, it, dose cool. it, and come see me live <laughs> at my shop. I'm not even performing. Come, come shop high. I, I've had some of my best customers have been out of their minds. <laughs> yeah, well, one more time. Uh, it's uh, Quiz Daddy's Closet Quiz Daddy's on Closet, Santa Monica. Santa is that Monica, right? 2525 Main Street. You got it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Uh, James, do you have any, any other questions? No questions. I just, I also wore a special shirt for you today. Nice. This is my vintage out of, out of my closet. Shake little, goodbye. Little <laughs> Mets. Yeah. Shake yeah. bye. But uh, yeah, no, dude, thank you for doing this with yeah, us. This, super this fun. was fun. It was great. I'm looking forward to hearing do it. More. Will, you, will we see you at New Year's? I don't know. I don't think so. I, don't, I honestly don't know. I haven't booked flights or I haven't gotten tickets so at this point no but maybe maybe just maybe I'll be inspired never know yeah. crazier things yeah well Scott thank you so much for being our inaugural guest and kicking us off it has oh, been welcome. a real pleasure chatting with you catching up Namaste. and hopefully we'll see you at a show soon sounds good Gabs thanks James We've Got a Band is presented by Section 119 and Osiris Media. Created by Gabrielle Bluestone and James Dell. Executive producers are Gabrielle Bluestone, James Dell, RJB, and Matt Dwyer. Edited by RJB. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Marketing by Nick Sejas and Eric Limarenko. Art by Mark Dowd. Osiris. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, 
all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.